verse 7, Titus chapter 2. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is God's word, and let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for another Sunday, another time together as a church family, for our Bibles open in our laps, and for songs that contain truth. Lord, all this, and for your glory, is by your grace. We ask now for help understanding these few lines of scripture and also having what is necessary that comes from you to be obedient to them and we'll ask all of this in the strong name of Jesus amen well a a good question to ask I think that'll help us sort through some of these things at least to begin with is which is more important what you do or who you are and to shape that a a bit better it's it's a an outside versus an inside, a public personality versus their private personality. Which is more important? And does one affect or have to do with the other? You could use an example, say, uh, if a man can lead a government but can't lead his own family at home, is he still qualified for the public position if there's problems privately speaking? As far as our culture goes, I think we've long uh, forgotten about any such thing as that. In fact, uh, if you can just keep from getting impeached, as long as the gas is cheap and the market's high, we should be cool, right? Generations ago, it wasn't even a contest. Uh, Morality, privately speaking, had a lot to do with what we expected publicly. Now, that's that's our culture. What about the church? Uh, this man, Titus, who's been left in Crete to organize the house churches, what he is privately, does that matter having to do with who he is publicly? I think it does. Paul's going to make his case. Now, after addressing the older men and women and the younger men and women, we've spent two weeks on that. Paul speaks directly to Titus for a second time here. The first time was in verse 1, if you've got that open. Uh, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. We talked about how he was teaching sound doctrine, but this is what accords with it. It's the things that fit. It's the application of the doctrine, and he had it for those groups. Well, he's got some to say to Titus as well. That's in verse 7, show yourself in all respects, to be a model of good works. And then he gets specific with his teaching. That should show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. And the purpose for that is that so opponents don't have anything to say that sticks. Um, And if there's any shame, it's on their heads. So verse 7 comes from verse 1 of chapter 2, and really it's a how. How are you to teach what accords with sound doctrine, Titus? Uh, By 
being an example to the rest of them. Be a, a, be a model of all that was said. And really there's, there's no uh, break with what was said to the older men and women and the younger men and women. All that applies too. He's to be a model. Of everything that's been said so far, this guy is the poster child, generally speaking. As far as specifics that add to the list that wouldn't apply to the other four groups because they're not in leadership capacity, look what it says. And in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech. So we've already spent two weeks on the other groups So we'll just focus today on what's added, and that has to do with his teaching. And first out of the gate, it should be done with integrity. Do you remember the warning in verse or chapter one, where there were qualifications for the leadership, and then there was examples of bad leadership, pastors behaving badly. Well, that was in verse ten. For there are many who are insubordinate; they're not under the authority of the word. They're empty talkers. They, they say pretty things, but there's nothing there. And border, you know, the bottom line, they're, they're deceivers. So it's, it's been 2,000 years since Paul wrote this, but I don't think we've, we've outrun our risk of deceptive Bible teaching practices in churches or, or where else. And it used to be you had to go to the church with the deceptive teachers and preachers. Now you can get it on television, you can get it on the internet. And what's bad about it is even certain bookstores that you would think are trusted, they would only have good books. No, bad books sell better than some of the good books. We have to be careful to make sure that the teaching has the component of integrity. Now Paul's telling Titus, he's the one doing the teaching, but the congregation should hold them to it as well. Um, I think I mentioned this last time we went through this passage. But the, the problem with a, a lack of integrity or not a clear good faith in preaching policy where you hear things like turn in your Bibles to, look at this for yourself, you're smart people, you think through it. Some things can be said without saying them that might take the, the place of all that. And church being what it is today and having changed with, with culture and with uh, social media and internet and all, all that whole thing just piled all in. Used to be, generations ago, you knew what to expect out of a church if you just had its denomination. That's the way they act. This is the way they act over here. You, pretty much you, you know how to dress. You know what they're going to sing. You know how they're going to preach. Not necessarily anymore. Churches didn't used to have websites. They all have one now, and pretty much basic necessity of a church website is the what to expect page, right? Because when you're online dating your churches, looking at their websites, you need to know what to expect before you show up dressed wrong, or you you don't know the words to the songs, Uh, or you don't know if you need your Bible or not. But that what to expect page and differences in music or even preaching delivery or what you wear. You notice there's not much in the scriptures about many of those things because scriptures give us a pretty wide berth. 
But what happens if we don't pay attention is that it might sound like we're pitching a church toward a group. And if you fit this group, you'll fit in here. And that's just a short hop, skip, and jump to maybe having them believe, we'll do this the way you want it. This is kind of you know, Burger King, have it your way. That's not at all what the scriptures say. There is a clear way that it's to be done. And if the teaching is on point and there's integrity there and God's word gets through, everybody will learn what that is. It won't be a country club. It won't be... Uh, I'm think, uh, there's, there's the third example I just threw out. You know, when you run your governor, you know, filter in your head messes with your illustrations. Um, the integrity in the preaching has to be the clearest voice in the church. So that message, if nothing else gets through, else it's a self-serving backward church. Um, It'd be easy to mislead the body into thinking that the whole thing's engineered to make them happy or to meet their needs. And a lot of churches would say, that's what exactly what we're here for is meeting needs, right? Well, that's part of it. But Jesus on the, on the mountain before he ascended into heaven with his 12 men who wrote the New Testament that we're reading now, he didn't say, go into all the world and meet their tangible needs. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. They're lost. And until they know they're lost, they can't be saved. Now, that's their major need. But being sophisticated as we are, we like to kind of hide the major need and talk about all the felt needs. And church can become quite the place to waste everybody's time talking about that instead of the other. That's what Paul is telling Titus. The teaching has to be plain, and integrity is the most important part. Um, He's never said a word. You won't find it in the New Testament to tailor his approach to the interests of his audience. In fact, you see like the opposite of that of 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Speak the truth openly and plainly. Appeal to their conscience between them and the Holy Spirit. Leave it in their lap and go home. That's what you do in church. It's no cunning. There's no tampering. It's the open statement of the truth. Also, it's to be... Dignified. His teaching should be a model of dignity. He's modeling uh, integrity, but he's also modeling dignity. And this is kind of, uh, if, if integrity is, is what the teaching is supposed to be, then dignity perhaps is how that is to sound. Uh, how does one teach with dignity? Perhaps it starts with the seriousness or reverence for the Word of God. Not serious as in, uh, you know how some people talk in plain English, but they pray in King James? 
You've, you've heard that before. Some people preach in King James. They'll, they'll use thee and thou, but then they'll go to McDonald's and they, they'll, they'll, they won't use those words at all. I've always wondered what it'd be like to order a restaurant in King James and wonder if people thought, well, you guess they just came from church or something. It's, it hadn't faded yet. It's not Monday. Um, but that's not it. Uh, it's an awareness of what this is in our hands, where it came from, and, 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 and what it's worth. Uh, there's, there's, there's a dignity which is it's, it's set aside, but it's not wooden either. Um, I remember going to a funeral. This was uh, a member of, of the church in Virginia had a relative and we thought so much of this guy, we went to the funeral of his loved one, and it was a small country church, and it was different. This is something I hadn't experienced before. First thing uh, I noticed was that the man doing the speaking and the man doing the music and all the pallbearers bearers had matching coveralls. No, uh, bib overalls, not coveralls. Two different things, both very practical in the situation needed, but these were like dress overalls. I mean, they were spotless, dark blue, looked very uncomfortable, hadn't been broken in yet. And when the guy started speaking, he was so soft you could barely hear anything. And then after a few minutes, he was a little louder. It was about normal. And then after a few more minutes, it was getting louder and then about halfway it was loud and then toward the end it was like a full throat holler with a cadence and a lot of extra vowels on the end of words that didn't need them and especially at the end of the sentence and just me looking around the room some people are enjoying this thoroughly other people are confused and some are terrified and I'm thinking in my head, this has probably been passed down from generation. This is what they do here. But kind of like the passage with Paul about tongues, I'd rather say a handful of words that everybody gets than thousands of words that no one understands but sound interesting. So I wouldn't call that dignified. Do I think those men knew what they had in their hands and what they're preaching? Yes. But I think there's a way to do it where people realize, hey, I don't know if I believe this stuff, but I believe that these people in this church do believe it, have a respect and a reverence for it, and live their lives as best they can around what it says. That should be very clear. John Stott said that people will not take serious subjects seriously unless there is due seriousness in the preacher's manner and delivery. He says, we don't come to church to be entertained by the message. We don't go to church to hear the views of the preacher. We go to the church gathered in the presence of God to hear the word of God. And then I'd written down maybe one of the biggest enemies to the dignity of the preached word is when it becomes increasingly easier to do church. Not, not that you've gotten church down to a science because... Older established churches can get everything wired and organized. It runs smoothly. That, that's not it. That's good and that's practical. But when it gets to be old hat, 
to where the fire and the energy's gone, to where the guy, because he's been doing it so long, can stand up and just run his mouth for 30 minutes and, and never touch the passage of Scripture because he's just good at chewing the fat. You know, you can get good at that. And a good church will call the man out on it. That's not dignified either. And then one more thing to say, um, you could take it too far as well. Uh, Integrity and dignity aren't meant to be contrived just for the purpose of of plugging them in to the extent of covering over the personality of the speaker or the listener. We're human beings, aren't we? Uh, We don't talk at home in weird voices deeper than everything else because it's so formal and everything. No, it... We've got to be real with one another. There will be times where we laugh. There'll be times where we'll cry. We might do both at the same time one Sunday. Uh, there's plenty of times in the scriptures where Jesus showed emotion. He was angry once. He wept once. I'm, I know he, he's laughing in there at certain points because what he's saying is hilarious. So we're humans There's only one master teacher, and that's Jesus. And if he acted human as a human and personable, I think it should be the same way here as well. So um, all that just to say we should never forget why we're here, and that's to understand God's word in order to obey it. So then Titus' teaching should also, in addition to being done with integrity and dignity, it should be sound so that it's Teflon coated. It can't be condemned. Um, where he said, if there's shame, it's on the opponent's head. Do you remember back in uh, Acts? We just, we just left there months ago. And there's the situation where Paul's in front of Festus and he's giving his defense. And Festus interrupts him. And he says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And then Paul says, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. He can because it's the truth. For I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Again, there's no perfect teacher except for Jesus. But it's a sad day. When a so-called preacher can't stick with the book enough to keep his own self out of trouble. That's usually where it happens. You get off somewhere, you insert your opinion, and you offend somebody. If it's the word that brings the offense, then you can refer them back to what God said. If you stepped out on a limb and it fell off, sorry. Uh, You've got to eat that one. Because the offense is yours. The shame is on the speaker's head. But if everything's where it should be, and the opponent comes with a complaint, reasonable people, reasonable, will look and say, I don't know that that's fair. He's just being honest with God's word and shooting it straight. And reasonable people will see that. If they're unreasonable, hey, What do you do with unreasonable people? You can't do anything with unreasonability. So you write it off. And Jesus told us what would happen if you preach the truth. You'll pay for it. So at least you know it's coming. But 
Make sure it's sound, Titus, that all of these things are tied up and buttoned down so that when someone comes, the shame is on their head. There will be opponents. Shouldn't go around looking for a fight. That would be out of step with dignity, wouldn't it? If the pastor, you know, bare-knuckled in the parking lot. It's not going to work. But if a fight comes looking for you, teach in a way that's sound. So we're back down to that question we started with. Which is more important? What you are or what you do? I think what you are will show in what you do. Uh, But if what you do is most important and you don't worry about who you are, it's just a matter of time before things can fall apart. Does it make any difference if a man can speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love? What, what, what's, what's Paul call him? A, a banging gong or a tinkling cymbal. It's obnoxious. So this is important. Now Paul adds one more category. And uh, we're moving right along this morning. This is good. Um, and Paul, this is one of those sections. If... if if we had to be careful when we're reading through older men and older women, because both of them, it, it talked about things that could affect one in their, their older years. And we, we try to respectfully uh, tread lightly without overly making jokes or banging down too hard. Same with the younger uh, women and men. And, and when we read about working at home and how, what that meant and what it didn't, and now we get to this business of servants and masters. And I've sat through preaching and I've read commentaries that want to say that this is just about a one-to-one matchup with America's history with slavery. And the truth of it is it's, it's not a one-to-one matchup. Uh, by virtue of the fact, for one, we've got the word bondservant, which was different. Paul used a bondservant of himself. Uh, uh, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I choose to position myself subservient to my master, Lord and Savior. And the bondservant, that's kind of an interesting word because that referred to servants who, when given the option to buy their own freedom or worked long enough to have it in some other way, would choose to stay with the family that they worked for uh, after they are a free person or so. There's a whole lot of culture and a lot of, of uh, time machine we'd need to go back those 2,000 years. But then I've heard other people who want to say, well, it's not really a match with uh, our history and theirs, but it's a better match with uh the culture's ideas on employee and employer. And that's not a one-to-one matchup either. It's, it's just not. Where a slave in, in the Greek culture couldn't come and go. They didn't have the same rights and so forth. Most employees do. Though there are some things as far as the character qualities that Paul says Titus needs to tell the bond slaves to have regarding their masters that would work wonderfully in a relationship between a boss man and his employer. So we'll look at some of those, and if that shoe fits very well, well, we'll wear it. But what we do need to make sure we do 
is listen to what he says about these people then and there, and we'll see how if that wasness helps us right here in the isness, right? That'd be fair to the scripture. So, and uh, one thing I, I, I wrote down I didn't mention. There are places in Scripture where Paul talks a lot about how masters ought to act, too. And one little tiny book called Philemon is written to Philemon about a runaway slave, Onesimus, that runs away to Rome and runs right into Paul the Apostle who knows Philemon. And Paul writes the letter to Philemon, Hey, I'm going to send this boy back to you, but I want you to receive him like you would receive me. Treat him as a son rather than a slave. And I'd rather you let him go. Give him his freedom. And the name useful, that was his name, Onesimus, but he was a useless slave. And there's a whole lot of, in, in the words here, these plays on words, where this man respectfully and winsomely writes to this other person about a cultural norm that didn't really fit well with the Scriptures and did so masterfully. So this isn't the passage in Scripture where we want to talk about that relationship. This is the passage in Scripture on how Christians are supposed to act even in a situation they might not like. Most of us live in that from time to time. Ask an average human being in America, are you totally happy with your situation? They're probably going to say no. So here's what they're to do. and, And maybe the most glaring point in the whole setup here is Paul makes no distinction between slaves who had Christian masters and those who did not. And he doesn't mention whether or not the relationship is healthy or unhealthy. There's other places in Scripture where sin is sin is sin. It's always sin. But this is where it seems the point is, hey, this is what's expected of you as a child of God regardless of where you find yourself and whether or not it's fair or correct or right. It doesn't matter. There's no situation we find ourselves in in this life that's so bad that we don't have to be a Christian anymore. Does that make sense? You get a pass to act like the devil because you've been treated bad. No. And we look to Jesus for that. No one has ever been treated like him. And no one ever endured that righteously as he did. So what he's saying here is that they are to, uh, their fundamental duty is their submissiveness to their masters in all points, in everything. So voluntarily accepting subjection to their masters as a matter of principle. Now the only exception here would be when they're asked or required to do something contrary to Scripture. And that would be the same and uh, employee, employer, same with government, same with home and, and your spouses. We always obey God rather than man, period. That makes logical sense, and we see it all over Scripture. But with, we'll go through these lists, uh, submissive, well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, good faith, and adorning the doctrine of uh, God our Savior, and if you want to write this, if, if, if let's say we got some young people in here looking for a job, do this stuff, you should probably get hired. This is a means for placing someone in a position for gainful employment and keeping it. It's not what it was written for, but it could certainly be used for that. 
Why? Because it looks like Jesus and most people would hire him until they found out who he was and it didn't look good on their Facebook page. That was supposed to be a joke. All right, humble. That's number one. We get that from submissive to their own masters in everything. So they're to consider voluntary what is obligatory. This past week, I had the opportunity to listen to some folks talk about their boss man. They didn't know I was listening, and I don't think that they knew that I knew their boss man. But uh, it, 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 was, it was interesting to listen to what they thought was reasonable and what they thought was unreasonable. And it's always fascinated me workplace environments and and how you get the right team of people and they just work good together and then one of them moves away and they hire somebody else and the whole thing explodes. It's a delicate balance, isn't it? And what one thinks is is good, what one thinks is bad, what's uh, best practice, what's not. But at the end of the day, if you want the paycheck, you, you do what's required of you, right? Or you go find another job. What he's saying is, this is obligatory. You've you've got to do this. You're obligated to do it by virtue of your paycheck. Act like you're doing it voluntarily, and it'll go better for you. And everyone, if you can figure out how to make it fun, make it fun. If you need to just remind yourself 10,000 times, I'm doing this as if I were doing it for the Lord. But he's saying here, take what's what's obligatory, make it a... Uh, voluntary forced labor is always demeaning but voluntary service even among slaves it's the most endearing literature ever written were from prisoners of war or slaves treating those who mistreat them like they wanted to be treated themselves knowing that it's wrong There's not much more powerful than that. In fact, this group out of all the groups have the potential to preach louder for the cause of Christ because of the position they're in rather than the ones on the other side of that relationship. Um, Second, reliable. They are to be well-pleasing. Well-pleasing to those they work with, well-pleasing to those... Uh, whom they have to do. Um, I wrote down half-hearted work, laziness, carelessness, cutting corners. That's not reliability and not well-pleasing. I don't think we need to go too much further than that, but um, not argumentative. That's the next one. We'll call that non-combative. Depending on the circumstances, this might be one of the harder ones. Uh, Because, again, good grief, what do you talk about at work if the boss is gone? But the boss, because he's gone, right? But you're not not supposed to argue about that stuff. And, and again, the delicate balance of the workplace environment. Don't be the the arguer. Uh, Honest, that's not pilfering. Do you all use that word ever, pilfer? Some people do. Dad used to use it a lot. Y'all get out of that pantry. You pill for everything. That's my stuff. Don't touch it. One year, my sister gave him a box. 
and it had mine written on the top of it, and it was empty. She says, so put your stuff in. We'll know it's off, off limits. It can be yours. We won't pilfer the stuff in the mine box. Um, but pilfering, on a large scale, they've got another word for it, and it'll land you under the jail. Embezzlement, right? Pilfering's paper clips. Embezzlement's like, you know, that man who made off of everybody's money, Right? The word for it literally means laying on one side. So there's boss man's side and there's my side and you pull stuff over onto your side. Um, It's not honest. And then there's loyalty. And this comes from but showing all good faith. Loyalty is kind of a show and tell type of a thing. Um, And it's, it's usually told as it's shown You've got people in the Bible like Daniel, you know, purpose in his heart uh, that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. Remember, they took him out of, out of his country and into Babylon, and he made this appeal winsomely, hey, just let me eat veggies for 10 days and we'll see how it goes. And he won their respect. And he goes through the ranks, through middle management to... Uh, senior level management because of loyalty. When it came time to call him in for the dreams, he told the truth. Same with Joseph in Egypt. It, it's, it's not rocket science, but he's not playing both sides of the fence and gets caught somewhere with like a foot on the dock and a foot on the boat. He's doing his job uh, honestly and loyally. And then my favorite is Winsome, the one at the very end. And this is the goal. The reason why you would do all these things in that relationship is so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And as a Christian, folks, there's no higher motive. Everything that you do, that in some way, big or small, you make the gospel of Jesus Christ attractive in the eyes of those you're interacting with. Now listen, the last couple of years have been rough on our culture. It's, it's, it's moving, it's shrinking, it's, it's exploding. Everything's broke. Nothing's in stock. Whatever is costs too much money. You can't get a human being on the phone on the other end. It's just, it's weird. It's weirder than I've ever remembered it. And I think people's tempers are short uh, their patience is frayed. Uh, they're, they're not nice much anymore. And I haven't even said anything about traffic yet. Right? I have to drive in it. You have to drive in it. You never know what the Holy Spirit's running in the background. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't know whether or not they were in church last week or saw you there. You don't know whether or not they've had the worst day in the world. Way worse than yours is worse. Be kind. Adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ in the way you do everything. As an older man, as an older woman, as a younger man, a younger woman. As an employee, as an employer. Adorn the gospel. That's at the end. The whole list ends that way. 
so that you may make attractive, you may spruce up. You know, we talked about an adornment. It's like window coverings. It makes a normal, plain window look better. Make the gospel look better. That's what all of this is for. It's not self-motivated legalism, so you can be better than somebody else. It's for the glory of God. And from that Westminster Shorter Catechism, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I know it sounds This looks like a long list of things I'd never be able to attain. But what else do you do for the guy that saved your soul? And how else do you convince the rest of the world that they need it too? But to be different in the most wonderful, winsome type of way. This is practical stuff. It's hard stuff. It's a tall order. But we have the Holy Spirit. It can be done. After all, you're in this room, aren't you? Somebody adorned the gospel. Maybe it was your mama. Maybe it was your daddy. Maybe it was a stranger. Thank the Lord for them. Don't pay it forward as if it's good for you. Do it for the glory of God. He deserves it. And with that said, I think that's enough. We'll bow in prayer. We'll sing. We'll go home. Father in heaven, thank you for another Sunday, another opportunity to look into your word. Lord, you fed us well today. Would we take these things and think them through? Lord, let them sink down into our hearts, become part of our behavior. Lord, may we teach our children these things. Press on them the importance of them. Not just to get a job, to get a check, but to glorify you. And thanks for what you've done for us in obedience to your command. Lord, may this church be a winsome church. May this church be faithful and loyal, non-argumentative, all these things. May our homes be that way too. Lord, I ask your help, your comfort, and your sustaining power for those who need a little extra of something this week. You know. Lord, prepare them for what's coming. And Lord, if you, in your way, as you do, only on an individual level, Lord, let them in on how you're using them, how important to the kingdom they are. Lord, how that this is just the practice for the game and that game will be more wonderful than we can ever imagine. Lord, fill us with what we need for ourselves, but give us enough to give away this week. And we ask all this in your precious name. Amen.